der Triathlon Show. Wir hören Mai. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Ben Day. Ben is a performance coach at Team Bike Exchange, which is a world tour team formerly known as Mitchell Tom Scott. He's the founder of Day by Day Coaching and coach of professional long distance triathletes like Chris Leiferman and Greg Close. Ben himself raced uh, cycling professionally for 14 years before his coaching career. And uh, the interview today is uh, a general training talk where Ben shares his thoughts and experience on many different aspects of training and coaching related to both or in both triathlon and cycling. But before we get into that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. You can find Precision Hydration on precisionhydration.com. And uh, if you scroll down to the bottom of the website, you can find in the footer uh, a link to book a free video call of 20 minutes to discuss either the results of your online sweat test that you can get on the website as well for free, or just general hydration strategy and hydration questions that you might have for the experts at the Precision Hydration team. Uh, so do make sure that you take advantage of that, especially if you're preparing for half or full distance triathlons, and especially if they are in hot and or humid climates this year. You can also get 15% off your electrolyte order with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15 right on Precision Hydration's website. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. Roka, Roka's products in the triathlon space, including products such as the Maverick XT wetsuit, the Viper swimskin, and the Gen 2 Elite Aero trisuit, are designed from the ground up with the simple mission of making you as fast as possible on race day. But in addition to these triathlon-related pieces of equipment and gear, Roka also have the category of sunglasses and prescription glasses that is just a groundbreaking new approach uh, to eyewear with uh, features and innovations such as the material usage, making the glasses ultra lightweight so that you don't even feel like they're there. They have blue light blocking coding options. They have Geeko anti-slip technology, so you cannot, no matter how you try, get your glasses to fall off your face. You can get for the prescription glasses an online vision test from the comfort of your home computer and much, much more. So check out all of the eyewear products that Roka has if you are somebody who uses uh, prescription glasses or just sunglasses, whether it be for training or for casual day-to-day wear. You can get a 20% discount on your Roka order with the discount code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now, just one quick thing before we get into the interview. If you are a long-time listener of the podcast and you enjoy it, it would really be appreciated if you could submit a rating and a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps grow the show and helps keep it going for the long term. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Ben Day. Today's guest on that triathlon show is Ben Day. Uh, ben, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good as well. Uh, thank you. Uh, let's start by you just introducing yourself and uh, telling the audience uh, what your background is in endurance sports and, and what you're up to currently. Yeah, sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so my name is Ben Day. Um, I'm an Australian. Oh, uh, maybe a little bit of a lost vagabond Australian these days, but uh, 
I was a professional cyclist for uh, 14 years myself. Uh, half of that time spent in Europe, half of that time spent in the US. Uh, halfway through my career, I uh, was at a point where I was thinking about what will my transition be uh, into a post-racing uh, career. And what I realized was that the preparation of an athlete was something that I'd been living day to day for you know my whole life up until that point once I started riding a bicycle anyway um, and so it's just pretty much been an extension on my uh, my personal racing career to get into coaching uh, but it's been even more more rewarding because I really love to play a role in, in, in other people's success and, and just trying to uh, better themselves and, and get the most out of their their physical potential so it's been it's been quite a blessing. Yeah, and you mentioned being a vagabond Australian. So, so where do you spend your time these days? Yeah, so I live in Girona, in Spain. I work for Team Bike Exchange, the World Tour cycling team. Uh, so that is uh, a great place to live. Uh, good climate. Uh, lots of uh, English-speaking professional cyclists are based over there, as well as some of the the world's best triathletes, like Frodeno. He's over there. Yeah, it's a great climate for that and gives me an opportunity to do a lot of hands-on work, which was something that I believed in a lot after having my career and experiencing the the effect that somebody working with you one-on-one, being able to look you in the face, being able to go out on some of the training sessions with you. It's something that I wanted to be in a situation where I could offer some more of that. So I'm happy to be there. And um I lived in the U.S. for 10 years, haven't lived in Australia for 20 years. I've lived in so many different places in Europe. Uh, so, I'm a, yeah, I'm definitely a bit of a jet setter. Yeah. What is your uh, current role with uh, Team Bike Exchange? Yeah, I'm one of the performance coaches there. We have a department, a performance department, which is we have uh, five people who are coaching, a couple of scientists, uh, people who are in charge of nutrition as well. So it's uh, – um, and, and some of the medical staff as well are involved in sharing their information as well. So we combine together to – well, we have our own, own athletes that we work with, but then we are also a group in making sure that we're hitting all the different parts of performance, whether it's you know nutrition, psychology, training aspects, strength and conditioning, um, injury, injury prevention or injury um, – uh, intervention to, to, to get over those things yeah uh it's a really really great environment i i love working in an environment where everybody is open and honest with each other and um respecting coming to the to a similar place from a different perspective because you know that experience that each person has really brings a lot to the conversation and we can you know, ultimately solve more questions or, or solve questions in a better way by that collaboration that we have there. So it's uh, a really rewarding experience. Yeah, that sounds like a good setup. And I believe that you have also coached or maybe are still coaching some professional triathletes. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So currently working with two guys, Chris Leiferman is one uh, and Greg Close is, is another guy. So I've been dabbling in, in triathlon for about, 10 years uh it's a little different for me coaching in cycling a lot of it came from my own personal experiences and then further education uh around the science and and uh, the reasons why certain things were 
a with triathlon i don't have the the personal experience of, of racing in that competition but it's also given me an ability to to look at it from a, a different way and sometimes i don't agree with with some of the the um processes being used by perhaps other other athletes and coaches within the triathlon world uh so yeah i i've always worked with a few triathletes um it's not a big part of my my um, my business my profession but it is something that i've actually learned a lot from myself it's it's uh it's challenging in a different way uh and there's some insights that i picked up from the triathlon world that I was actually able to take over into the professional cycling world and, and have some some good result from. Yeah, I, c- I can relate to that. Uh, personally, I coach coach mostly triathletes, but I do coach currently one cyclist, and and it's something that I've seen as well. Like it, to cycling, I can bring something from my experience in triathlon that is maybe different from what is conventionally done in cycling, and you have the opposite experience there. And I'm really curious, what are a couple of examples of? some things that you have brought to triathlon coaching that uh, that are kind of maybe unconventional uh, compared to what is traditionally done in, in triathlon? Yeah, sure. So I feel definitely around the, the bike component of, of triathlon, a lot more intent and purpose around the preparation there. Uh, what I found is that there were – I worked with a few athletes who had the experience where – the, their riding time was was basically just accumulating volume without a lot of intent and purpose in in the sessions i think that might be coming from the fact that like i'm coming from a cyclist first into the triathlon world whereas you know triathlon coaches who have a lot of amazing experience in their own right they're coming from it as all the multidisciplinary um fact and also perhaps competing themselves so that they understand or they've learned from what they've experienced. So with a little bit more, uh, not knowledge, but uh, since I work so much in the cycling world, there's a lot of nuance in the preparation that I do for the cyclists to get the most out of their abilities. So I'm able to apply that to, to the triathletes that I've worked with. So that would be one of the main things is just looking for a lot more progression on the bike side of things. The other thing would be to find a good balance between uh, load and recovery. I would say overall, uh, the the volume that I work with my after my triathletes wouldn't might not be as high as what some of the other professionals might be, but a lot of it is very purpose driven. So I, I prefer to aim towards purpose driven training as opposed to just really high volume training because I feel like there is a tendency in the sport of people doing too much and you see like once they finish their race objective their Ironman then often they're really in a big hole for a period of time and I sometimes question whether that might have come from too much load going into it and the the race itself has perhaps put them over the edge with all with all due respect to, to the load of what the race is of course it's a a big day out um but yeah with higher quality a little bit less quantity i've found i've been able to get a lot more response yeah yeah and uh, that makes sense to me that from your background in cycling as well because from from what i've seen and talked with with coaches there isn't so much just going out for 
and just going out for a ride. But but as what you're saying is what I've experienced as well that there's always some intent and purpose to to the sessions, even though they might be big volume. But there's something something of quality, something of uh, other than low intensity usually in those sessions. Uh, would you yeah. say that? So I don't know if you're cyclists typically would they ride seven days a week or six days a week or maybe they do doubles i'm not sure but how how many of those days would they have some sort of quote-unquote quality or like higher than endurance training in in their workouts yeah so the let's say using a a seven-day week and I, i don't really like to think of it as a seven day week because you know ultimately the monday to sunday cycle uh it doesn't really apply to professional athletes because they're not going to work monday to friday so it is a little bit different in that realm i'll normally work in a three or four day cycle so uh you know three days of 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 intent training and one day of recovery so it's four days or four days of, of intent training and then and then a day of recovery after that just depending on where we're at in the season or what we're trying to achieve in that particular block so that's how I sort of cycle through things. And on, on those three days, let's use that as the example, I will look at uh, diminishing quality over those three days. So the highest quality on day one, let's say medium quality on day two and looking more towards endurance on day three, whereas the volume potentially would be the opposite, right? So like on day one would be the lowest volume so that we can really focus on the quality there, um, like a medium day in terms of volume on day two. and the highest volume on day three because in that aspect we're not trying to achieve the quality so much on that day three but like a long endurance ride at low intensity working on you know metabolic efficiency um fat oxidation those sort of things that's where it fits in really really well yeah uh, that's that's a great overview um so this has already led us into what was going to be uh, a, an official question on our list of questions here, which is around your coaching and training philosophy. And I feel that these things that we have discussed already cover some of it. But are there any other aspects that you would say are things that you really believe in in coaching that you that we haven't talked about yet that you want to mention? Two things. Uh, numbers don't tell everything. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, there is a lot more to performance than than the numbers that we we look at that is in some aspect i think our attempt at trying to understand the situation as best as possible and we always have to keep in mind that there's more context to the numbers than just the numbers in front of us so that's a really important part and then the other thing for me is the relationship with the athlete like the more you know the person uh the more you have open and, and honest dialogue with them the more you're able to create uh correct directional changes in their training, race preparation, um, their their overall overall psychological build-up and preparation into a race itself, um, you know, the right words to be, to be saying, the things to be thinking about, the things to be uh, working on to invoke confidence in, in the race performance itself. As much as we'd like to break everything down into numbers and, and they do provide us a lot to work with, uh, human beings are anything but robots, and it's really important for for the coach to be engaged. In my process, it's so important for me to be engaged with with who the athlete is and to find out the best ways of steering them in the right direction. Uh, 
what is an example of numbers not telling uh, everything like maybe where somebody like an athlete or, or even a coach might be uh, going down a, a pitfall of believing the numbers a, a bit too much do you have a specific example of that yeah sure so like let's talk about a race scenario and use uh power uh, power file from uh, the bike leg the higher power is not necessarily the correct result the most important metric in that aspect is speed like the person's highest average speed that they could average over that 180 kilometers that's ultimately the performance metric that we're trying to optimize so if they're putting out more power for a particular time or less power for less power for the same time i'll go with less power every time because it sets them up to be in a better position for for the run and triathlon has been such a, a great lesson for me in this aspect in considering how technique driven the swim is and how technique driven the run is and how important efficiency is on the bike side of things you know the fitness and physiology on the bike is so important but there are a lot of technique areas that we can work on there and ultimately aerodynamic um, profiling is super super important so it's not about doing things harder it's about doing things faster and smarter yeah uh, and going back to the topic of volume that you mentioned a bit that that you maybe do slightly less volume so first if we discuss the triathletes you coach and of course uh, knowing fully well that this is going to depend on the individual and the time of season but but if we just uh, discuss things from a before racing season begins but when they're in kind of full full training so not just coming back after a break or so but they have been training and and they are getting to that point where like soon races will will start to to come up what would you say is kind of rough ballpark numbers for the weekly volume of of your triathletes i'd uh, I'd say 20 to 25 hours a week in looking at it in terms of hours i will i'll try to not combine quality and quantity at the same time so we'll have periods of time where there will be a volume um, specificity where you know we might be working up to to 30 32 hours perhaps even 35 but i'll make sure a lot of the intensity comes out at that point and i'm a little bit more sensitive around uh run quality in 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 those sort of weeks as well uh i've found something that i learned just through working with the athletes over the years that i needed to respect run volume more uh, but combining run volume with with high quality running with intervals and stuff like that is a, a little bit of a slippery slope that has to be treated with care i believe mm. uh, so, so what, what would in a 20 to 25 hour week for example do you know off the top of your head roughly what would be the breakdown between swim bike and run in terms of hours yeah so let's say up to 15 16 hours on the bike uh this is if we're combining all the week the all the sports together in that particular week so yeah about 15 hours on the bike uh five to six hours running uh and similar time in the water um perhaps even a little bit more six to seven hours swimming i find repetition in swimming is super important again focusing on maybe on one or two uh interval based sets per week but then a lot of other days of focusing on technique you know doing it faster and smarter not harder um and then with the runner as well so not too many uh sessions with intensity there but that's that's how i would normally see a combination of uh, a balanced period of time we'll also have some time too where you know we might sort of 
just keep the the run discipline on the back burner a little bit and focus really a lot more on the bike. And at that point, we might be doing up to about 20 hours a week on the bike um, and we'll reprioritize different points depending on how each one of the disciplines are going. Mm. And, and would you apply the same sort of four-day cycle uh, in triathlon as you do on in, on the bike? Potentially a little bit longer. Uh, I would say uh, not too often what would I do like a three-day working block. It would be more often like a, a four-day working block just because we're covering different disciplines, also working with different muscle groups within the body. So there is an opportunity there to to get more work done over, over a, an extra day or two. So it'd be more like a four-day period of work and, and a day of rest after that. Um, I I don't really go as far as what I have seen uh, with some others in that they might only have one rest day in the week. I think it's important to to have more than that just to keep the quality in the training and to really stay away from any sort of burnout. Mm. but what does the rest day look like is it uh, a complete rest or is it actually recovery and how much because you you do see everything from a complete rest day to people doing like a three-hour easy ride and and that being a rest day so that's obviously a very big difference in terms of of load what does your rest day look like i you know and the science is out a little bit about how important the active component of recovery is Personally, as an athlete, I found it was important. So, like, you know, one hour easy on the bike, an hour and a half easy on the bike was always always felt like the right thing to do. But sometimes when the fatigue is coming perhaps more from the mental component, to be able to get away completely from any of the disciplines on a particular day I think is something to be encouraged. And it can even be something as simple as go for a walk down to the local coffee shop and, and, and grab a coffee. Just get away from the hard grind that you're doing day in and day out and get some refreshness happening, whether it's whether it needs to be physical or mental. So I sort of keep that as an open component. Uh, stick away from any sort of strength and conditioning work. Going to the gym on a rest day is not counted as rest, which I've seen people use that before. I like to stick away from the run as well just to keep the, light, the, the load light. Easy swim, easy bike, easy walk, or a day completely off. You know, I think... Any of those things and leaving that up to the athlete themselves gives them a little bit of autonomy over that process. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, next question uh, that I want to ask is, uh, again, for triathlon and training the bike component of triathlon, uh, what would be your, let's say, top three tips for, for that? And I think you've already given one, which is uh, what we talked about with uh, a lot more intent and purpose to the bike perhaps and not focusing only on, on the volume or, or so much on the volume so 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 you, you already have one covered so if you have two more tips then that would be great yeah and the volume is important but it's not important all of the time so it's just making sure that the balance is right at, at any one time uh specificity i think is, is super important so like in looking at what your race intensity what, what you're hoping to be racing at it's important to do a lot of work around there uh, using Things like aerobic decoupling, um, really focusing on that that middle range of intensity where we're trying to promote metabolic efficiency within the athlete. Uh, So just long efforts where they're riding at an uncomfortable pace. And it's not not hard for the first 20 minutes, but after two hours, they start to, to moan and complain a little bit. But I found that has been super effective. Strength work on the bike is something that I really believe in as well. 
So that's something that uh, I'll do a lot with with all my athletes, whether it's cyclists or triathletes. And doing that in the triathlon position, in the aero position on the bike, is an important uh, thing to do. It's not always about putting out more power, but it's putting it out in a way that is specific to what they're going to experience in the race itself. So that would be two more there. The, the final one I would say is that making sure not to stay too stagnant on one particular type of training stimulus. So especially when we're talking uh, on the endurance side of triathlon, whether it's Ironman or, or, or ultras, we can't always work down in those low intense ranges, uh, lo- the low intensity ranges, because the the body gets stagnant to the stimulus that's, that's receiving, and there is an opportunity of pushing the ceiling up there at certain points, which you know you can argue isn't so specific to the race that they're getting ready for. But in pushing that ceiling up, you create more room to move and a potential to have better response to to the lower stimulus once you go back to that lower intensity stimulus so i'd say don't shy away from from the higher intensity efforts perhaps further out from the racing as opposed to closer to the racing but there is potential there to to get more out of the 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 training uh stimulus and is that something that you would do perhaps on a more um drawn out but fairly regular basis like for example once a week doing some higher intensity or would you do it more in a block style where you do quite a few sessions over a couple of weeks two or three weeks yeah i would do it more in a block style you know i'd look for a period of time let's say two or three weeks where that becomes a focus of of the training and in doing that we would do it with one discipline at a time as opposed to all three at a time Uh, look to push up the ceiling on that component and then to circle back around and uh, work on creating that metabolic efficiency again. The thing with working on the higher intensity stuff, it's it's drawing away from this efficiency. And on race day, that's such an important thing for endurance sports. So it's not like it's a, a race performance thing per se, but it is creating the room to move further on down the line. Mm, yeah. Um, and with the cyclists uh again so what are, what might be the differences between how they train and uh, the bike component that you described on the triathlon the differences yeah well it's mainly all about one sport so that makes a huge difference uh so their you know their volume is anywhere between 20 to, to 35 hours a week again depending on the amount of of intensity within their training and and intent on quality the in cycling the races within cycling are very very dynamic so we have to find this balance of creating that aerobic efficiency component that has that has to be the underpinning of, of everything otherwise the house of cards falls down way too easily but then in a race scenario itself it's pretty rare to have sustained style efforts like everything is very much stochastic so Um, the only time when they have like a very steady state performance might be if it's a, a fairly flat time trial or a very long gradient climb and then they're in a situation where they're not so much racing the person next to them. If they're in the race and going for the win, for example, or a contender, there's always a lot of change of pace. You know, people are trying, looking for opportunities to, to, to attack and move away. So it creates uh, a demand of having balance between the aerobic efficiency 
and this ability to be dynamic in their power outputs. And if you don't have that dynamic component, then you're not in the game. You know, you'll you'll finish, you'll you'll get to the end, and you might be able to do some work early on, but you don't have the ability to to be you know shoulder to shoulder with the people going for the results towards the end of the race. And ultimately, that is what defines performance in, in cycling to a certain point unless your role is more around supporting the leaders as, as a domestic or, or a worker role so it's uh it's quite the balance of those two things which sort of work against each other in a lot of ways but uh, that's that challenging part of it is something that, that i really love yeah mm. so what, what does it mean in practical terms for training would you still do some of those longer moderate intervals to work on the the efficiency uh but then you would have more of a focus on uh, regularly doing more intense intense efforts or what is the practical takeaway? Yeah, sure. So I think with with all aerobic development, the you know the thought with that stuff is that it is going to last for longer. Like you're going to retain that within your set of phys- physiology for longer. With the the more intense, shorter work uh, and aerobic style activity. That stuff will come and go quite quickly, so you can respond to it fast, but you'll also lose it fast if you're not keeping it stimulated. But then when you have an athlete that's racing 80 days in the year, they're also getting a lot of opportunity to, to get this stochastic style of, of preparation just by going to the races and, and being involved. So it really depends on where they're at and how they're responding within that race block in terms of what you're going to do. So. Once that aerobic side of things is well developed, once you get into the racing season, you're looking to more maintain that for the most part with perhaps a rebuild in the middle of the year. And throughout the rest of it, you're just looking for improved performances at threshold and above, essentially, and that ability to to handle high levels of lactate, um, to go, like for example, like coming into a climb, like you watch how fast the, the riders are going into the base of the climb. so for the first three or four minutes, they're well, well, well above threshold. So they have a big high lactate load in the system. And then they're having to clear that and continue up the climb at somewhat more of a steady state. So there's a, a lot more dynamic um, demands in, in, in the type of, of output. So yeah, overall, it would be to build that aerobic work early on as the underpinning for everything. Keep maintenance of that throughout but then to use the higher intensity stuff to build you know let's say the roof of your house throughout the season mm, yeah that makes sense now um you can answer this next question from whichever perspective you prefer whether it's cycling or triathlon or or agnostic to the discipline but uh, when coaching individual athletes uh, how do you do you do some sort of or what kind of profiling do you do how do you find the individuals um points for improvement and and how and figure out what training interventions might work for them yeah that's a great question actually so lowest hanging fruit you know it really is a great way to go about this process because if we can find the thing that is going to make the the most difference in their ultimate performance go for there first because that's where you're going to see the most rapid change of improvement so to profile them would be a matter for me of going through a long questionnaire, having a really good conversation with them, uh, really talking about everything, understanding really what they're what they're what they're dealing with within life, what happens to what what 
obligations and, and commitments do they have within their within their week that we have to best work within to get the most out of their their training process, which includes recovery as well. Beyond that, reviewing training data, power files, and doing perhaps some physiological profiling through just through data analysis or perhaps with with Insight. I know you've done some interviews around that before. So Insight is a is software that I've used uh, quite extensively in the past as well. So that's something that um, I find is is a great way to to understand the missing components of their physiology or the strong components of their physiology and to identify the areas which, okay, if we work on this right now, this is where we're going to get our best bang for buck in terms of the training dollar spent. So that would be the ways uh, I think that are important to do it. So overall, like testing, really being able to get a gauge on their levels at any one time, I think is a really important part of the process. Otherwise, we think we're progressing, but we're doing it with assumption and and a sense of blindness. Yeah. What would be, if you can give uh, some tips around this for perhaps for the self-coached athletes listening to this and amateur athletes, what would you say that uh, they should think about doing when when it comes to assessing their own uh, areas for improvement and lowest hanging fruit? Read up on decoupling. I think aerobic decoupling is is a, a really good metric that can apply quite well in the sport of triathlon, especially like long distance triathlon. Uh, you know, a, a phrase that has been well defined by Joe Friel. You'll find information out there quite easily, and it's essentially using power and heart rate, or on the run, it would be pace and heart rate. And look at what point those two deviate. At what point of intensity do those two things start to deviate from each other? And this is a sign of your uh, limit of your aerobic threshold. So your, your first threshold, lactate threshold one, however many names there are for this particular uh, type of intensity. But think about it as a, as a medium range. And if you're doing a, an Ironman, it's going to be the intensity that you're working at for most of the day. So Basically, what we're trying to do is teach the body to burn, to burn, to create the most energy possible from using fat only as fuel and minimizing that use of glycogen, the carbohydrates stored within the body. Because at those intensities, that's where the whole basis of the performance is. Once you can really build that, grow that foundation, you'll have a really, really strong platform to, to work on top of. So like looking for some metrics around that. To uh, to improve and progress upon the aerobic threshold, the aerobic capacity of the athlete, I think is probably the most important. Yeah, great. Uh, the next question is: You mentioned that uh, within your performance uh, team at uh, Bike Exchange, you you do have sports scientists as well as the performance coaches like yourself. How do you view the uh, the balance between the art and the science of, of coaching? How, how do you use that in, in your environment, for example? Yeah, actually, um, one of the first things I did upon retiring from being an athlete myself was uh, I did a big um, dive into the role of, of science in coaching and to understand that from a, a better viewpoint of the, the, the importance of the role. And I think the most important thing out of it is is to bring on board the scientific process, which is just one essentially of hypothesize, hypothesize 
and either validate yes, yes or no, and to be able to continue to work through that process with any individual at any time. You know, we have to validate that what we're doing is is creating uh, an effective improvement, and if not, let's suspend our energy elsewhere. So the difference between the art and the science, our body of science, scientific knowledge is continuing to grow all the time. And there is a component that it doesn't have the ability to really focus in on, and that's the individual. Science is presented as uh, a group of people, you know, for, for a study to to be seen as being effective, you know, you have to have the majority of the people responding this, to this particular stimulus. But it's not looking at the individual variances. And so as a coach, I think it's super, super important to apply the scientific process, the scientific method, and looking at this on a case-by-case system of like, how does this particular athlete respond to this particular scenario? Is this the best way to go for it? Or is there some uh, a different direction that we're going to get more potentially more improvement that's then the, the right direction to go there is a part that has to become intuitive because as you get to know that person better through just conversation uh body language uh the the, the tone of their voice uh you can understand where they might be at any one time and having that that uh holistic approach of what is right for that athlete at that time is very very important because while science is so important in everything that we do, it doesn't describe everything, all the mechanisms that happen within the body, psychological component of, of race day performance. So I think that's something that we really need to keep in mind of that engagement with the athlete and treating them as individual individual humans and not just uh, a robot with a set of, of numbers that we're trying to manipulate and improve on. So it really comes from that strong relationship and connection with the person. Hmm. As uh, as a general answer, can you give an example of one thing that uh, that you have that that you that has come from sports science that you that you have started to implement with? It doesn't have to be all of your athletes, of course, but with some athletes after learning about it from from scientific research or from the sports scientists that you're working with. And uh, on the flip side, uh, one example of something that might be looking quite promising in sports science and there might be quite some buzz around it but you haven't found it useful in in the actual application in coaching so you're not really using it that much well to, to start with that uh, where has science played an important role i think it underpins pretty much every part of the the process that we're doing so like it's coming from knowledge somewhere like that there is uh detail that is being used to prescribe certain things in certain ways so that body of knowledge combined with just the the scientific method itself of applying measuring validating whether it works or not and then choosing which direction we go after that that is i think the most important thing that we need to take out of the role of science within within sport and and the world for that matter uh, in terms of things that are pretty catchy and um, that maybe don't work out so well, I think nutrition is a pretty good one to, to tackle on this uh, part. Low carbohydrate diet, uh, ketogenic diets, um, uh, using ketone supplements, stuff like that. The 
jury is out. Like there's certain things that it can be uh, positively good for, but for athletic performance, I argue whether that is where you're going to get your best performance on race day. The amount of glycogen used, even at aerobic intensities, is still quite high. And I've seen athletes lose a couple of years of their career going down those particular pathways. So it's something that I feel like there is more there is more hype around efficacy. And we as a species love extremism. We think that, you know, if this is the, the latest thing out, then we need to take that latest thing and, and take it to the moon and back. But it's not about that. Like all these little things that come into the sport and potentially could be improvers, um, we need to keep balance with that, with all the things that are really creating the foundation of our performance already and not being so extreme in one direction or the other direction. It's, it's really sitting in the middle with all this stuff. So I would say nutrition is such an important component and glycogen is such an important fuel source to, to, to be used and, and uh, supportive of, of the athletic performance. So be careful of extreme directions in, in either direction because that ultimately could lead to athletic ruin. Yeah, um, my personal opinion there is that nutrition is a great example of where we have to take care to really understand the scientific process and how that is a process where we try to control one specific phenomenon and uh, and see what impact an intervention, for example, has. But uh, but in the real world, when we have an entire individual with an entire training program and racing and stuff as well, like you have to you have to not only think about whether whether you see uh, some increased molecular signaling based on a nutritional intervention, but whether they can actually do the quality training that you need them to do to be able to perform well in the races over, over a sustained period of time and, and so on and take that very controlled uh, experiment out of out of that control and put it into the bigger context of, of the entire uh, performance puzzle. And that's where I think that, well, I 100% agree with what you just said. It doesn't really seem to be work well for endurance athletes, especially once volume and overall load gets gets really up there. And, and what is the result that we're looking for? You know, if it's a if it's a performance athlete getting ready for a particular event, that is our determinant. There is the performance there is the determinant, not in something that is minutia uh, in a, in one part of the whole preparation. Because if that part then undermines everything else that's being done in this, like you say, in this particular aspect, the quality of training that they're doing, and ultimately the the output on on the on race day then it's a loss. It's absolutely a loss. There are no shortcuts. And I think this is something that science does prove for us, that we can do things smarter, but the work still has to be done. Like there's no there's no magic little secrets out there that can make you jump from step three to step seven. You still have to go through step four, fives, and six to get to there. Um, so really just knuckling down sometimes and getting the work done and making sure all the things are done to the best of the person's ability, I think would be something to, to really highly recommend to any athlete of like just consistent, solid, maybe unsexy work because like if you don't get the work done, the result won't be there. There's there's no shortcuts to, to victory, you know? Yeah. 
All right. Well, next question. Uh, and this can again be applied to whether you prefer to talk about triathlon or cycling or a mix of both. Uh, but what would be your top three tips for amateur athletes uh, that uh, are interested in improving their performance, but they have a job and family and, and so on? Get a coach. Uh, define your time. Uh, you know, it's so tricky. Like, I have so much respect for people who are finding time within their work week for for athletic pursuits and it's so important to have this balance in our life and promoting health and fitness it's it's super important time management is is super crucial in this regard so creating some structure in your week and working around that routine creating consistency is the number one but the first thing to to increasing fitness is creating consistency and if you can't create consistency then there's nothing you know you any any gains that you make you lose because you just had two weeks off so set something out in advance uh, whether it's working with a coach getting a training plan or, or even doing it yourself create some structure in, in the weeks that you have ahead of you and do your best to stick to that structure and, and only in that way will you find some progression great uh, anything else any any other uh, tips there so First up is consistency. Once you have some consistency, so let's let's say at the beginning the consistency is three days a week. If that's all you can handle, or that's all you can fit into into the working week, that's a great way to start. Uh, but then once you have that and you feel comfortable with that and you feel like you can do some more, then start to bring in frequency, so more sessions per week. And only at the end of all that would you ever want to start focusing on specific intensity. So consistency first, frequency second. Uh, volume and intensity come after that but they're the, they're the things that really are important part of uh, just getting the ball rolling and, and finding progression in the work that you're doing and once you find that progression it's so motivating and, and you build some inertia in, in that process it's uh, a really important part of, of what you're doing there yeah uh, if, if somebody's uh, let's say it's, we have a cyclist and they they ride six hours per week you would then say that it's better for them to do those six hours per week over six days of training than four days of training, having that frequency uh, trumping the uh, the volume of individual sessions. Is that right? The balance. So we want a balance of, you know, if we go back earlier in our conversation here, we're talking about the need to have this body of work to build the uh, aerobic efficiency component, the aerobic capacity of the athlete. And a lot of that is only achieved through longer training sessions. So if that person had six or seven hours training a week, the way I would look at doing that would be to use either Saturday, Sunday within somebody's working week. Saturday, Sunday they have off. So let's let's try to get a three-hour ride in, for example, on one of those two days. And then for the rest of the week, so let's use Monday, Tuesday, Friday as, as rest days. And likely in this scenario, though, those might be completely off. And then we can use Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to get some more quality into their training because we're a little bit time poor in this scenario and we only have, let's say, one hour of training that we can fit in on those three days. Then we'll bring in more intensity to get the most stimulus out of those three days is what we can. But we still have to have one ride in there a week where it's more of a, a volume endurance component. Ultimately, that will give the athlete the opportunity to build to a certain level but for them to, once they get there, it might take, might take a period of time to get to that level. Once they get there, 
the next progression would be to try to find a little bit more time in the week to be able to build that volume up without some sense of volume there is going to be some limit on on the capacity or what the adaptation that you can achieve with that athlete so um, but yeah finding the balance between the aerobic and the anaerobic side of things is really important in that regard mm. do you think it's uh, a common issue that amateur athletes in particular maybe train too intensely and uh, for whatever reason may it might not be that they're training with intensity too frequently but maybe too high intensity or is that something you see yeah for sure uh the you know interesting utilizing inside for the first years and getting some more profiling on a whole range of athletes with those professionals uh racing amateurs and even just amateurs uh, who are doing uh perhaps participation style events they're you know it's often the aerobic component of their physiology that is the difference between the professionals and the amateur riders so the intensity component the anaerobic component is actually has a higher bias within their physiology than the aerobic side of things so the thing to get the most improvement out of them at that point is to circle back around and start to build that foundation again in underneath so in promoting and, and pushing that aerobic development, their anaerobic system has something that can stabilize itself on top of their aerobic system, and they ultimately have a more complete set of physiology there. Yeah. And uh, one more question, one more follow-up on this uh, would be when amateurs do that aerobic work, for example, the three-hour ride on a, on a Saturday, how would you uh, prescribe it? Like, let's maybe you have uh, an FTP test or an inside test, or or maybe they're using you're using like a percentage of max heart rate. What would be some guardrails for you to get that ride be at the right intensity? Yeah, sure. So there's a few different ways. Like, I would I like to use the aerobic decoupling component. I think that's a really easy way to define that range. Um, you can get into a laboratory and do a standard um, step lactate test to see that or a VO2 max test, look for about 80% of VO2 max, work around that range. There's, so there's a bunch of different ways that we can derive what this intensity might be. A simple way of saying it might be work at an intensity where you can say three or four words at a time before you have to stop and take a bit of a breath and keep going. So it's not like your breathing is completely out of control. It's definitely a step below that, but it is a step above being able to completely say a full sentence. Like if you're running or riding beside your buddy and you're able to talk in complete sentences, you know, that's ultimately more of a, either a recovery zone or an endurance zone. We want to work just above that intensity where we can get out short sentences, four or five word sentences before you know, have to stop and take a breath again. This is a really quick way to 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 settle in on more or less what the the the, the correct intensity is for that. Get in that range and stick there. It takes time. The adaptation in this range doesn't come from higher intensity. So get in that range. Don't try to fudge it by shortcutting it by going higher intensity. Stick in that 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 medium range and look to increase the time. That is the component that's going to 
build the stimulus and, and create the adaptation. So in lactate testing terms, it might be just just above that first threshold or maybe add it. Is that yep. right? That's right, yeah. So that, that first uh, 0.4 millimole inflection in the, in the lactate curve per se. So once we start to see the lactate response in the body, that is the point where, that we're looking for, uh, the sign that the anaerobic system is starting to play a higher component in, in uh, the athlete's output at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and do you think that, uh, so you said already that using aerobic decoupling is a great way of finding that, and that makes makes sense to me because, well, when, when you are actually do testing with athletes, you see that there's a huge variation in, for example, as a percentage of threshold where it occurs. Uh, is, is that something that you would actively avoid, like not to give a specific percentage of threshold of power where, where this occurs? Yeah. Or um, range? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of percentages of... Um, for example, I uh, I worked with Inigo San Milan, which I believe is somebody that you've spoken to before. So he yeah. he was my coach, uh, yeah, geez, eight years ago, nine years ago, or something. Now I feel like I'm getting older every year. Uh, and he was somebody who really pushed this component of of zone two work, this tempo work, um, focusing on this this aerobic efficiency range. And uh, it was a really important thing to to bring into my training. And I found. I responded to to it really well just because of my my genetics, my style of physiology. But let me describe a couple of my training sessions for you. I would do I did up to five hours at zone two, which for me at that time weighing sixty eight kilograms was three hundred and forty watts. So I did that for five hours, so over six thousand kilojoules in, in doing that. So I could do that for five hours, three hundred and forty watts. But because I didn't have that balance with the the rest of my physiology at that point, it was still like early season preparation, I couldn't do 360 watts for 20 minutes. So at that point, if you're looking at percentage of formulas, 360 watts for 20 minutes, let's work out what FTP might be around that. Uh, you're not much higher than 340 watts. Essentially, my no, you would be lo- you would be lower than three hundred forty watts. <laughs> I think. E- e- exactly, exactly. So, like at that point, my uh, my if looking at a lactate curve, my LT one and the LT two would have been so close to each other because as soon as I stepped above that that um, that that LT one that aerobic threshold range, I didn't have any room to move, and my lactate would just you know uh, really come flooding in there because I didn't have any development above it. So my, my, my physiological system at that point hadn't been created to in, in balance per se. I'd done so much work at these lower ranges up to that, uh, that aerobic intensity that we we're just talking about, that tempo work that we we're just talking about and hadn't done any development on the other side of things that my physiology was completely skewed to one side and didn't have anything of the other side. So this is the problem with using percentages of formulas like, they're better than nothing, but they're very much a broad stroke guess about the entire population, and it's not taking into account the individual. And if there's any way for the athlete to get a little bit more detail and nuance into where their particular physiology is at, I would recommend that they go out there and they use that to prescribe their training zones. Mm. Well, that, that's a great answer and a great case study. Uh, I want to follow up on that as well. So when you were at that 
point in the in the training season and then you wanted to obviously race that higher end when when you got into racing did you find how, how quickly did you find that you could you could race the higher end and how much could you race it just to give an example for the listeners on on that side yeah actually in that particular scenario it wasn't very successful uh so 340 watts for five hours like i wouldn't even have averaged that power in the world champion world championships road race but that's they were the highest numbers that i'd ever done for that long sustained period of time i had that at that point it was everything that we were focusing on and i went to the european season feeling very confident about where my my form was at i couldn't even stay on the wheel you know i was racing in 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 northern europe belgium the netherlands and there on the flat roads there's a, a really high power demand and as soon as you start to bring in some some wind component there's a lot of stochastic work uh, acceleration little micro accelerations to stay on the wheel stay out of the wind and if you can't do that if you can't be efficient then you get spat straight out the back and that's what i found because i didn't have enough of the anaerobic work done to to balance out my system all i could do was just chug along all day at a, at a really high level but ultimately not one that would keep me within the group and the group is always going to move a lot faster than the individual if i was a person having to sit on the front and work for my teammates and nobody else was sort of like coming through and doing turns i could put a lot of pressure on them and and, and uh, that would be a good performance but it didn't give me that dynamic range of being able to, to move around the bunch and, and accelerate decelerate um stay on the wheel so it was a sign to me that this aerobic development was really important in in creating my physiology it has to be there but it's not necessarily race specific in what i was doing in 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 the cycling world it wouldn't be race specific in short course triathlon once we start talking about long course triathlon then it is race specific right Um, but then you could even argue that there's still an element with the professionals where they're racing each other in the disciplines more than what the age groupers are. Uh, so their their outputs are a little bit more stochastic than what the age groupers will have. So there there is there is a difference there as well. Yeah, yeah. So so your approach now is informed by that, but perhaps uh, a bit more balanced with having more of that anaerobic work as well, and perhaps earlier in the season, and, and not just yeah. focusing solely on that aerobic component everything in balance everything in balance whether, whether it's the the build of the physiology uh whether it's uh the psychological state of the athlete you've got to give them time away from the work that they're doing uh let them have their recovery days sitting on the couch and watching netflix if that's the thing that's going to uh, elicit the best uh, improvement uh having everything in balance at all times remember what we were talking about before about extremism doesn't work very well in 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 the these gains that we're trying to make and i would say prioritize really good consistent work that perhaps isn't as sexy as what it might seem if it was more extreme but that's where you're going to get the most improvements Mm. so so on that note when you prescribe those harder sessions and in terms of executing those sessions do you think that uh, that it should that they should more often than not or usually be 
done hard, but but the athletes should have a bit left in the tank. They should still feel in control, or and or how often should the athlete really go to the well, and how often is it okay to do that? What is the balance of that? Again, a, a balance. I think there are times where going, you know, really deep, going to the well. I like that that saying. That's a good one. I'll use that. Uh, there is a, a need to go there occasionally, but in going there consistently, that's super stressful on on, on the, the systems within the body, endocrine system, stress hormones. You can't consistently go there and expect that they're going to continue to, to recover, adapt, and improve from, from the stimulus that, that you're giving them. So finding, a, finding some opportunities to do that, knowing your athletes, because, you know, I have some particular... Uh, in this scenario, cyclists that I can think of, world tour cyclists, and one of the biggest things that we learned with this particular person that I'm thinking about was that he came to a realization that he had to leave something in the tank every day. He had to do the efforts really well with consistency, but to not milk out absolutely everything that he could out of it because he was a really fast adapter, but it would damage his body. And then we'd lose the consistency. And now, to circle back, the most important thing that we have with anybody is the consistency. The more consistency that we can get of the quality work, the more more adaptation we're going to gain. Uh, yeah, so it's super important to keep, be aware of. Yeah. Final question before the rapid-fire questions. Uh, if you could go back 10 years in time uh, and uh, give yourself some advice uh, as a coach from back then, what would you tell yourself? Go back 10 years in time. Uh, in, in the world of tri- triathlon preparation, I think one of the biggest things that I learned around running was that, again, there are no shortcuts. You like I realize that run volume is important, and you can't get, you can't consistently back up the end of an Ironman with a good run performance without having that body of work done beforehand so i erred away from higher quality in the run to favor more volume in the run uh through experience that's not what i was doing early on but that was through experience so that's definitely something that uh, i wish i had known earlier and had been able to impart that wisdom at an early part of my career within the triathlon world uh anything else there i've always been very open-minded in this process i think there are different ways of achieving optimal performance and just being very open to what that stimulus needs to be for each athlete is super important and what works for one athlete may not be the right thing for the athlete so just to be really open and continue to learn from talking to people like yourself and and other people in the field to find different ways of of approaching it to come ultimately to what we hope is is a similar result that it's really important part of getting to that optimal performance is to finding different ways of getting there because what works for one is is not the same that works for the other so i was very always open-minded to that at the beginning but just over the years I've learned more and more different ways of of achieving the same thing. 
Mm, great. Sorry, that wasn't so rapid fire. I'll, I'll improve. <laughs> uh, wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't meant to be either. Uh, <laughs> the, these are the rapid fire questions that we're going into now. <laughs> okay. So, so these, these ones, try to keep them to one sentence or less. Which okay. uh, And we start with, uh, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? Talking to other coaches and scientists within the field, without a doubt. And what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Oh, I love aerodynamics. So anything to do with wind tunnels, uh, aerodynamic testing, field testing, track testing, that sort of stuff. And finally, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Engagement with my athletes in creating a personal relationship to best understand them. Perfect. And uh, finally, where can people follow you and uh, your work? You you have a coaching business as well, so uh, please tell tell us a little bit more about that and uh, social media. Anything you want to mention? Oh man, uh, social media—it's the bane of my existence sometimes. Um, so the company is <laughs> called Day by Day Coaching. Um, we've been set up since two thousand and eight. I have a few other amazing coaches that work with me as well. So you'll find us at daybydaycoaching.com uh, on Instagram and Twitter as well. And then, you, yeah, I, I, I'm not super active on those things. I like to balance out some personal life with some sailing and uh, other outdoor adventures as well. Um, but, yeah, you'll find us on Instagram and, and uh, Twitter and, and Facebook as well. Um, but, yeah, reach out. I love, love to have conversations and, and chats with people and, and to hear different viewpoints and learn about uh different people in this sporting world it's, it's a part of what i love about it yeah great and we'll link to all of that in the show notes thank you so much uh, ben for coming on the podcast it was uh, really nice to chat to you thank you mate thanks thanks for your time I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ben. As usual, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with uh, links and related episodes. On Thursday, we have another TTS Thursday episode coming out. And next Monday, there will be an interview. And uh, it will probably be with Val Burke that I promised a couple of weeks ago, who is uh, a physiologist and coach in New Zealand, coaching among others, Braden Curry. Uh, but uh, we, I haven't done that interview yet, so uh, so I think I think that that will be the one. But uh, we shall wait and see. Just stay subscribed, and you will find out in due course. Now, finally, if you are looking to improve your triathlon or endurance sports performances, consider looking at the options we have on scientifictriathlon.com, including training plans or coaching services like full individual coaching, customized plans, or consultations. Check out what we have to offer there, and email me if you want to learn more. Big thanks finally to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and find out what your sweat sodium concentration is on Precision Hydration's website. And uh, remember to schedule a free consultation with them if you're interested in learning more. You can get 15% off your order of Precision Hydration electrolytes with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out Roka's wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with a promo code you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.